This is a Tech Briefs Media Group podcast. Hello and welcome to another Who's Who at NASA podcast. Today on the podcast, we have Jim Lux, task manager on Finder, a portable radar device that can detect heartbeats and the breathing of victims trapped under rubble in a disaster. Jim, thanks for talking with us today. Jim, first, uh, what is Finder? Finder is a uh, radar that that detects the heartbeats and breathing of victims that are buried in disaster rubble, like from an earthquake or from a large hurricane. And and technologically, what what does it look like? Well, right now, the prototype is a uh, carry-on baggage-style case with uh, a ruggedized laptop that you use to control it. It uh, has the batteries and the radars all in the carry-on case and the user stands back a bit with the laptop and controls it. And how is it able to detect the the heartbeats and breathing? Well, what Finder does is it looks for the very small motions of the chest and the body in general from respiration and heartbeats. Your chest moves about one centimeter from breathing and about a millimeter from the heartbeat. And even versus the top of your head moves from the superficial veins filling and draining. What we do is we look for those very small changes in the distance to the target. The rubble is not changing. It's stationary. And so since the victim is moving, then we can detect that by subtracting out all the unmoving stuff. And from how far away can Finder detect these signals? Finder can detect uh, people uh, tens of meters away. We've done tests at a site in Norton, Virginia, and at other places where we've detected victims that are in simulated rubble that are as far away as 40 feet in open forest. It's about 100 feet through solid stacks of concrete. It's about 20 feet is what we've detected. It might work farther. That's just the farthest we've tested. And can you talk a bit about how this came about? This came about because the FEMA at uh, Department of Homeland Security went to the Department of Homeland Security Science and Technology Directorate and said, we need a solution for mass casualty events uh, like Haiti or Sandy, where we need to be able to rapidly examine lots of structure, collapsed structures to see if there's a victim inside there so we can bring in the secondary team to actually locate them and rescue them. And then uh, Science and Technology Directorate talked to the JPL and said, have you got any technology? And we have worked with microwave detection of uh, heartbeats for some number of years. And so we thought that we could take the technology for the heartbeat detection and combine it with the uh, algorithms we use to detect faint signals and noise and put together a first responder suitable uh, package in less than a year, which is what they wanted. Now, is this tool based on uh, a previous and similar technology? It's the combination of a variety of technologies. Uh, the basic detection of heartbeats with microwaves has been done for a lot of years by a lot of people. It's also similar to the techniques we use to detect the small changes in motion of a spacecraft around another planet to measure the gravity field or just to navigate spacecraft in deep space. We look at very small changes in motion from, well, a billion kilometers away. Yeah, is this, can this tool also be used in, uh, in future NASA missions as well? Um, certainly it could. Uh, one of the challenges for instruments 
is you think about astronauts and they're in a large space station, they're floating out in the middle of the room and you don't want to have to have wires attached to them to monitor their heart. So this gives you a way to monitor the heartbeat of astronauts that are floating um, in free space. It also has a lot of other related applications just where you might want to uh, monitor vital signs without actually having that physical contact with the subject. You know, an ambulance would be a good example. In an accident, and you want to measure their heartbeat and respiration, and you don't want to have to cut their clothes off to put electrodes on. This works really well for that. Can you talk a bit about the process too of uh, being able to bring a tool that's used mainly in space and then uh, applying it to uh, Earth applications like disaster scenarios? Well, probably the most significant difference is the rapidity with which we were able to put this together. Uh, the typical space mission has a very long life cycle of years, if not a decade. So in this, we turned it around and started in April of 2012, and we had our first prototype being tested in a year later, and then the unit we just demonstrated in September, uh, which was almost a final product. So that's one of the big differences between the space world and the terrestrial world, if you will. The other, um, uh, the other difference is, is that in this the reliability aspects are a little bit different for a, an item that's going to go into the field. Is that it has to be reliable, but we can at least contemplate the possibility of being fixed. When you send something into space, you can't get it back to fix it. So that means we can use components and designs that might not be acceptable in a space application because it doesn't have redundancy, uh, because you can always send it back and get it repaired. What would you say were the biggest technical challenges when you were creating this device? I think that the biggest challenge was uh, putting together a team that could that could do this in the short time we had allowed to do it. Um, we got the idea and put it together. The basic pieces of the technology all existed in different places, so it's a matter of getting all the technologies and then recasting them to this specific application. And that required a multidisciplinary approach. With we had people who did the antennas, people who did the radio frequency design, people who developed the software, people who developed the user interface, and then just things like packaging. Uh, we had to make it all fit in a box that would fit in an overhead compartment. And how? Yeah, how big was this team? How many people were you working with, and across how many different uh, disciplines? Well, we had we've had six people on our finder team. Um, not all full-time because at Jet Propulsion Lab, we all work on lots of different projects. And uh, across six disciplines, we basically had one person in each of the disciplines doing what they needed to do. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and what was your specific job with Finder? Well, well I'm the basic the designer of the general approach and, and the Finder system, and my job was to uh, take the general ideas and then find people to work on them and then work through all the problems and getting it put together into an integrated system. What stage is the device at now? Finder is at the ready for commercialization step. Uh, one of the things that Department of Homeland Security was very interested in was that Finder would be in first responders' hands within a year. And so we are at currently the stage where we are talking to a number of companies who make things like this or who sell products 
to the first responder community to get them to pick it up and uh, manufacture it and put it in first responders' hands so they can start saving lives with it. Right. Where would you see it being, um, or I guess we've already talked about it, but why is this tool uh, so, so essential? And um, where do you see this being used first in the, in the, in the, in the world here? Oh, uh, this, this tool is, well, it's essential because it saves lives. Uh, that's, that's pretty simple. Where do we see it being used first? We see the first applications being in connection with the uh, heavy search and rescue teams which respond to large-scale disasters even has 28 teams across the United States, and uh, we see it being deployed with those teams. But if you think about more uh, Oklahoma, they had a tornado come through, and there was lots of debris there. And to be able to put one of these on every three-person engine so they can go out and tell, is there somebody in that pile, or can I move on to the next one, would be very useful. And so we see it rapidly rolling out to the larger first responder community. Certainly, we receive requests to deploy Flyinger Finder to other countries uh, even before it was done. Mm -hmm. and, and what's next for you now? What you'll well, be the working next on? Thing, the, the next thing for me uh, is to continue working on Finder. Uh, we're going to be adding some features that have been requested by the first responders who used it. Uh, for instance, a uh, course locator feature. We also have... Uh, other really, once we've got a heartbeat detection system, there's a lot of potential applications for it. And then at check propulsion levels, I said we do lots of things, and so I'm also a co-principal investigator for a software-defined radio platform that's on the International Space Station, so I have work to do there, too. What is the uh, the course locator you mentioned? The course locator, we have what's called the locate feature of Finder, which will, Finder right now just detects whether there's a victim in front of it, uh, locate will give you a general idea of how far away it is and how where the victims are in a sort of left-right sense. The level is very complex from a microwave standpoint, so it's not like we'll ever have a, a you know, radar display that says dig here, but it would be useful to say go to the left or go to the right. Great. Well, Jim, that's all I have. Thank you for uh, taking the time to talk with us today. Okay. You're welcome.